from the Brainswell Media Studios, this is the Sales Training World broadcast with your sales coach, Ryan Dorn. Ryan is an Emmy winner, a certified business coach, and a 25-year sales and marketing veteran. He has trained over 4,000 sales professionals in seven countries, and he still sells today. No fluff, no bull. Tactical and practical sales and business advice to help your business go places you never thought possible. Welcome to Sales Training World. Now, your sales coach, your business coach, your host, Ryan Dorn. Well, friends, if you're in the sales business like me, you live in sales world. So welcome to the Sales Training World podcast. We're all parts of this wonderful nation, the number one profession in the world, those of us in sales, whether you're selling inside sales, software, medical devices, media, whatever it is that you're selling, uh, welcome to the Sales Training World podcast. My name is Ryan Dorn. I'll be your coach for the next few minutes as we talk about nine universal truths of today's buyers. What are some of the things that are going through buyers' minds and what can we do to better sell to all of these people, no matter what it is uh, that we sell? Now, as a side note, just um, you know, for some of you folks, um, you actually joined us uh, through the media sales business, and that's a core of one of the uh, sectors that uh, my company serves. And there's actually a podcast specifically for you. It's called the Ad Sales Nation podcast, specific to media sales. So if that's how you came across this podcast, be sure to go over to iTunes or uh, or just search online for Ad Sales Nation. And there's a special podcast just uh, specifically for you. Um, also, a special treat uh, coming up uh, here in just a couple of minutes. We're going to talk about phone sales uh, with Mike Obert from Open Look Business Solutions. Together, uh, we've been selling for a heck of a long time. And we're going to talk about phone-based sales a little bit as well because I'm getting a lot of questions about uh, call reluctance, and we want to talk through that. And then, of course, um, we've got our listener questions, which I absolutely love that have been uh, sent in. Let's see, sent in this month from Rebecca from Albany, New York, Mark from Bakersfield, and then John from uh, D.C. They've all sent in uh, their questions, so I'd love to uh, be able to answer those questions uh, as well. So stick around and stay close uh, for that. Well, I'd be a pretty terrible sales coach if I didn't uh, sell some sponsors here (laughs) of the Sales Training World podcast. So a big thank you to Brad and Mike and Kevin and all the cast and crew over at Open Look Business Solutions. You can find them online at open-look.com, open-look.com. They're an outsourcing solution center. And so they'll work with you on data collection, data cleanup, telemarketing, you name it. The fine folks over at Open Look Business Solutions will help you with all of your outsourcing needs. So reach out to Mike, Brad, Kevin at open-look.com. So big thank out, big, big thank you and shout out to Open Look Business Solutions. All right, let's get um, started with nine universal truths of today's buyers. I, I feel that these nine things are so common, it's almost scary. So what are they and what can we do as we try to work through these nine universal truths? All right, number one, and I'm going to source all this information for you as we walk through our podcast today in case you want to find out uh, more online. Number one, six in 10 buyers According to HubSpot, six in 10 buyers want to discuss price on the very first call. Now, I find that to be really, really interesting because price is one of those things that all too often we really don't want to talk about up front. What I notice is that a lot of times, no matter what I'm selling, and by the way, I sell media, um, I sell software, I sell events, a lot of different things that uh, that I sell. And I sell myself, my sales training services. Six in 10 buyers, buyers want to discuss price 
on the very first call. So what's interesting to me is usually there's two awkward times of every sales call. Usually it's how to get the call going, and then it's talking about price and asking for the order at the end of the sales call. I've also noticed lately that as I'm talking with my prospects and my clients, that basically they want to know the price right off the bat. So let's talk about that. I recently had a prospect that said, Ryan, thanks for the time today. Hey, man, let me cut to the chase. (laughs) How much is this going to cost? And I said, well, I could tell you that it's $5,000, but if I don't tell you that you're going to get a Porsche for that $5,000, you might think that it's expensive. I'd love the opportunity to discuss the value that we bring to the, to the occasion. So that's one way when people want to talk about price. But the other is the reluctance to talk about price. What I find with a lot of my coaching clients is that they're reluctant to talk about price because they want to leave that first meeting to create a proposal. For me, I'm not doing that anymore. One of the best pieces of advice that I could give you here on the Sales Train World podcast is go prepared to talk about price. Six in 10 buyers want to talk price. Go prepared to talk about price. Be prepared to wheel and deal. Be prepared to talk about the price of the product or service that you're selling on the spot. Don't be afraid. If a part of your sales strategy is not to talk about price, I'm here to tell you that I think that might be a little bit off base. Six and 10, 60% want to talk price on the very first sales call. So I like to come with ideas ready to go. And I like to present ideas on the spot. And I'm ready to talk about price if they are ready to talk about price. So that's universal truth number one. Six and 10 buyers want to discuss price on the very first sales call. All right, number two. Buyers are less concerned with the qualifying questions that 89% of salespeople normally ask. I mean, what what are we trained to ask? We're trained to find out their budget. We're trained to find out their authority, their purchasing authority, and we're trained to find out their timeline. Well, (laughs) here's what's interesting. 89% of us as professional salespeople, we want to talk about those three things. That's how we're trained. Well, You know, I can't disagree with that. I totally get it. But here's an interesting statistic from Sales Driver. Just one in four advertisers, one in four buyers, one in four sourcing agents actually wants to discuss budget, authority, and timeline. They don't actually want to discuss those things. So we know we need to find those things out. So what do we do? What I do is I actually hide those questions inside of other questions. And so because I know they don't want to talk about those things, I hide those questions inside of other questions. So uh, for example, authority, I need to figure out who they are in the grand scheme of things. I probably should have figured that out in advance, correct? I should have qualified better. But if I happen to be on the sales call, one of the things that I might say is, you know, as we're talking about this idea that I know that you're going to, to love, In your company, are a lot of people involved in this process? I mean, if we like the idea, you like the idea, I like the idea, do we have to get a lot of other people involved to get this approved? I think that's a a nice way of, of saying it, not saying, do you have the authority to make this decision? Timeline. For me, I'm trying to focus in on what's their problem, how long has it been a problem, and how much money do they have to fix that problem? For me, the timeline is important, but it's not at the top of importance for me. Um, I do want to find out the timeline. And so what I might say is, as we think about providing solutions to you and helping solve you know, your problems, you mentioned that X was your problem. How long has that been a problem? 
And how long will you let it continue to be a problem? And they might say, I'm ready to fix the problem right now. And that gives you the timeline. Now, the budget piece. The budget piece is something I'm ready to talk price. I want to share my value proposition. I want to get into some intimate detail. But I really, you know, I'm not afraid to talk about price. So the budget piece for me is how long has this been a problem for you? And then how much money do you want to invest in fixing this problem? So budget comes natural in that conversation. Just recognize that a lot of you have been classically trained and right out of the gate, you want to discuss budget, authority, and timeline. Instead, I might consider weaving that into the greater conversation as opposed to bringing it up right at the beginning. All right, number three, 60% of buyers want to connect with the sales department during the consideration stage after they've done their research. 60% of, of buyers want to connect with sales, all of us, during the consideration stage after they've done their research. So there's three stages to the buying process. I mean, there can be 50. <laughs> Let's be honest, there's a lot of stages, but the first is fact-finding. If somebody has a problem, they're going to do some fact-finding online, that kind of thing. Then they want to meet with us after they've got a short list of questions, and then they'll get into the buying phase. So recognize as a takeaway from number three of nine is that you really want to be careful that as you're talking with folks about this, that you don't go into sales mode too fast. They might be in between the fact-finding stage and the consideration phase. Don't confuse fact-finding with considering. Fact-finding is, are we potentially a good fit? Considering is, okay, so I think we might be a good fit. Can you prove that to me before they get into the buying stage? So just recognize that you might be trying to sell just a little bit too fast. Number four, seven in 10 buyers watch a video at some time during their buying process. Seven in 10 buyers watch a video sometime during their buying process. So what does this mean? This means that on our website, on YouTube, in our sales material, we need to use videos as a part of the sales process. So, I mean, that's pretty straightforward. 70% of buyers watch a video some point during the buying process. So produce some videos. I think that's the takeaway there. Number five, an analysis of more than 2,200 companies, according to eMarketer, found those who attempted to reach out to their leads within an hour of those leads coming in were nearly seven times more likely to have meaningful conversations with the decision maker. So those that reach out to leads in an hour or less, I'd say 15 minutes, personally. I don't care if a lead comes in on a Saturday morning. I am there. <laughs> I am Johnny on the spot. I'm going to call him on my cell phone uh, from the airport or from the boat if I have to, <laughs> from poolside. I want to catch people at the point where they are ready to talk. If they're reaching out to us via email or phone, hey, sales is a 24-7 kind of thing. Now, I'm all about work-life balance. Um, I'm all about having my weekends to me and my family. But I think my family recognizes, and so does, so does my wife, that we've got to sell if we're going to pay the bills. So because of that, I'm ready to respond to leads at and almost almost any hour of the day. Just recognize an analysis of more than 2,200 companies found those who attempted to reach leads within an hour were nearly seven times likelier to have meaningful conversations with decision makers than those who waited even 60 minutes. So jump on it. Jump on those leads. All right, six of nine universal truths of today's buyers. It takes an average, on average, 18 connections before you will actually get a meaningful conversation 
with a, a buyer, 18 connections. So that could be voicemails, that could be emails, that could be meeting somebody at a trade show, potentially 18 total connections before a meaningful conversation with a buyer. Here's an interesting point, and I just read this online uh, this morning. Typically, a buyer will say a minimum of four times no. I mean, their gut reaction is no. And then we'll say that about four times before they say yes, before they even agree to a meeting. So most salespeople statistically give up after four attempts. So because of that, just recognize you're probably just one attempt away from actually getting a meaningful conversation with that buyer. So recognize it's going to take a lot of connections, a lot of calls, a lot of emails. <laughs> People will say to me, Ryan, I want to work smarter and not harder. Well, okay. I mean, that's, that's fine. But what I'm going to say to you is this, it sales is tough, man. Sales is a tough business to be in. So you're going to need to work really, really hard and just be really, really smart about it. So it's going to be a lot of work. I love it though. It's going to be a lot of work. All right. Number seven of nine, the boomerang sales research team also found this out that email messages written at a third grade reading level, seriously, third grade are 36% more likely to get you a reply than those written at a college reading level. Third grade reading level is what the Boomerang team is saying. We need to really dumb down our sales stuff. You know, I was recently working with a medical supply company, great company, reading through their literature. And I mean, literally, you would have had to have been a doctor to read it. So I said to them, hey, do doctors purchase your products? No, no. I mean, they're used by doctors. So who purchases this MRI machine? And they explained it to me and I said, do they, do, do these people purchasing this even understand what you're saying? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did a little informal survey and I found out the buyers of this product, most of these buyers had no idea what the sales literature meant. They had to go to their docs uh, to find out. So I really started paying attention to this. I was working with an aviation company also not that long ago. And I said, now are pilots buying the plane? I mean, are pilots actually making the decision? The answer is no, the pilots weren't making the decision. Somebody that barely even flew in a plane <laughs> was the one that was making the decisions, yet all the literature was written for pilots. Now, are pilots influencers? Yes, absolutely. Are we influencers? Yeah, absolutely. But make sure that your sales material is actually written for the person that's actually going to be making the decision or have different pieces of material for different people involved in the buying process. So we need, might need to dumb down our stuff a little bit. Hey, a little side note for you. Um, I was over on statisticsbrain.com looking up some research uh, for, a, for a keynote speech that I was giving in Washington, D.C., and I found out this really staggering statistic. Were you aware that 51% of Americans don't even read beyond an eighth-grade book level? 51% of Americans. So, I mean, I kind of knew we all were kind of dumb. <laughs> To be, to be honest, I kind, of, I kind of knew that, but I never really thought, holy cow, you know, we really are not the brightest bulbs in the old box. So recognizing those sales materials, oh, I hate to say it, we might need to uh, dumb those down just a little bit. All right, number eight, universal truths of today's buyers. 86% of buyers would rather go to the dentist than talk to a salesperson, according to SAP. 86% of buyers would rather go to the dentist than talk to a salesperson. So what does this mean? What this means is that if we are acting like salespeople, then we're going to be treated like salespeople. 
it leads us to number nine, and we'll wrap the two of these together. 17% of salespeople say they are pushy, according to a HubSpot article I just read. 17% of salespeople say they are pushy, yet 50% of prospects say that salespeople are pushy. So less, 17% of us professional salespeople think we're pushy, yet 50% of our prospects say that we are pushy. So I think we need to recognize that to sell more, we're probably going to have to sell less. Some of you need to be retrained. You've been classically selling for years. And so because of that, quite honestly, your process is a little bit off. It's no wonder you're struggling uh, selling to younger buyers. We did a podcast on that last month. And quite honestly, it really wasn't listened to that much. And I was kind of amazed. I'm kind of embarrassed because I thought, man, I really missed the mark. Well, you know what I found out? Most veteran sellers think they know how to sell to a younger buyer. And what I've found out is they don't. So it's a podcast a lot of you really need to pay attention to because younger buyers act differently than veteran buyers. And as such, we need to sell to them differently. You know, these are nine universal truths of today's buyers. Six and 10 want to talk about price. Most buyers are less concerned about the questions we need answers to. They want to buy solutions. They don't want to hear from us. 60% want to connect during the consideration phase. Seven and 10 are going to watch a video. You need to connect with people quickly for meaningful conversations. It's going to take 18, 19 calls to connect with somebody. We need to write our emails and messaging at a third grade level. These people don't want to talk to us. So the less we seem like a salesperson, the more likely it is that we're going to get a conversation and recognize most of us don't think we're pushy and most of our prospects actually think that we are. Where do we grow from here? If you're going to grow in this business, we need to recognize that these are universal truths of buyers and we are going to have to modify our sales game if we're going to continue to be a raging success in the sales business. Hey, I do a lot of things. I service 15 different sectors from aviation to the military, to software, to medical, to media, you name it. We're preaching and we're training in these various different sectors of the sales business. I mean, after all, sales is sales, right? Every sector though has its idiosyncrasies. This is what I've determined. Most of the time, whether you're an app selling to an advertiser or selling to a service provider or selling to a sourcing company, these are nine universal truths that we need to wrap our head around. We need to know how to work with. And if we're going to be changing, if we're going to be change agents. If we're going to be agents of change, if we're going to be influencers in the sales business, our game might just need to change. All right, I've got Mike Obert here in the studio with us. But before we get to Mike, don't forget, we would love to come in and train your sales team, whether you're a franchise company or whatever space that you're in. Um, we typically work in about 15 different sectors, and we've got training programs, large and small, at all price ranges. And we'd love to come in and train your teams uh, this fall. We get booked up really fast, John and Clay and I do. So uh, reach out to me uh, over at salestrainingworld.com is where you can find our contact info. Reach out and we'd love to get on the phone, no sales pitch, and just talk to you about what your needs are for your corporate sales training enterprise. All right, well, I know Mike Obert from Openlook Business Solutions. He's a sponsor here uh, of our program. I've known him for uh, quite a number of years, and we actually met each other in the media sales business. Now, just because you're not in media sales, don't tune out this segment. 
because what we're going to talk about is phone selling skills. Whether you're selling media, software, whatever it is, we need massive, massive phone selling skills. So I've been doing this uh, 25 some odd years. So uh, Mike, without uh, revealing your age, um, how many years have you been in the sales slash media business? <laughs> Let's see, Ryan, that's a lot of math that I have to do here, but I got you beat. It's 28 years. Oh, man, that's okay. That's okay. So if you add it together, friends, you've got easily collectively 50 years. If you add on Shannon McBride, who's been in the media business almost as long as us, just on this one podcast alone, you've got almost a 75 years, we'll say, in collective you know, media experience. <laughs> That's a lot of years, Ryan. That's old, man. <laughs> hey, you know, um, Mike, one of the things that I hear uh, from publishers, sales directors, ad directors, radio stations, newspapers, you name it, is there's a lot of call reluctance. Every sales rep is really focusing in on working smarter and not harder. And so they're sending a lot of emails and they're not picking up the phone. And I wonder if we could talk about that a little bit today, because I know that you and I agree you're going to get sales done if you pick up the darn phone. So what are your thoughts on picking up the phone and, and calling people? Oh, yeah. There's there's so much stuff out there now, Ryan, with text messages and emails and social media. And everybody seems to forget their old best friend, the phone. Yeah. And uh, some of my best reps and, and even today for me, I mean, picking up the phone is the best way to go to close deals. And for whatever reason, people are getting away from it. It's easy to send out that email. It's easy to send a text message, uh, but picking up the phone is, is the best way to go. Yeah. Now, I've noticed we did a survey uh, of younger buyers here a couple of podcasts ago, and it was uh, email and text messaging was first, but then uh, second was, uh, you know, socially meeting people and then the phone. And so even with younger buyers, uh, phone is important. Um, so what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, you know, picking up the phone and just getting more done? What are some thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things too, is when you're sending out emails, it's, it's really easy for somebody to say no. And, and when you're on the phone, you can mm -hmm. overcome objections and without getting that person on the phone, you might not know what their objection is and, and you can't address it. So it's always great, you know, to, to have that conversation, to, to know what their objections are so that you can, you know, close that deal and, and, and make the sell. Yeah. Now we, um, collectively we've agreed, we've been doing this a long time. I will admit, I don't know if you'll admit to this, but I would admit that I still, when I pick up that phone, my heart rate does go up a smidge and I've been doing it a long time. Do you feel that still as well after all these years? I, yeah, I do. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's why you've got to be prepared yeah. uh, before you get on the phone. You got to know kind of what you're going to say and what, and, and what route you're going to go. Um, you got to be respectful, uh, you know, when you, when you uh, get that person on the phone and ask them if they have time to talk and how much time they've got. And, you know, if you've got a pre-planned conference call, you know, that's a little bit different. Sure. But if you're just picking up the phone and, and making some cold calls, you know, be respectful of these people. One of the things for me that I think is real important is I typically have something that I'm going to. So I have a reason that I'm calling. I'm either calling, hey, Mike, I've got a really cool idea um, for such and such that I'd love to share with you. Um, and it's always, it's also my voicemails that I'm leaving and my emails are pretty similar in the total prospecting process. So if I saw on somebody's Facebook page that they're promoting a zero turn mower, I'm going to call and reach out about helping them promote that zero turn mower on email and via phone as well. So I'm usually trying to call about something specific. I'm not really calling about advertising per se. I'm usually calling about something, you know, a little bit more specific. What's some other thoughts um, from you on, uh, you know, picking up the dang phone? 
Uh, yes, we've done uh, quite a few lead generation programs for people uh, where we are softly asking somebody if they would like to receive the magazine because they might be in a specific area or a specific business uh, so that they can see the publication. And then after that, then we'll ask, you know, would you like to see some advertising rates? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a softer approach uh, to get to somebody to say to say yes to something uh, before you go into any type of ad sales. So I, I like that approach of, of having something to to talk to, talk about, or or give away mm-hmm. uh, prior to to the adver- advertising sales pitch. Yeah, agreed. I mean, sometimes we'll run surveys um, that are basically about the industry. So then we'll be calling people to share the results of the survey. Now, typically, an advertiser will say to me, "Well, just send it to me," and then what? My, what I my response is, um, it's not that I can't send it to you; it's just that I'd love to discuss it with you um, in some detail because a lot of times some questions come up. So I like doing surveys, uh, industry reports, you know, and and those type of things. But then you guys have really good luck at Open Look when you're doing lead gen programs. You've got great success just going after the phone. Absolutely. We, we just did a project for somebody where we generated from a thousand leads that we received from them. We generated over 200 uh, prospective uh, advertisers that were interested in getting more information. Uh, but again, that was with the soft approach of, hey, we would love to send out this this uh, this product to you. And after that, then you go into the, uh, you know, would you also like to see the rates? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. That's great. Now, thinking back over, you know, maybe because you've been uh, doing this a long time. I know we keep coming back to that point. Sorry. Um, you know, when you think about this, um, <laughs> when you think about sort of your top 10 salespeople of your career or your top 20 salespeople of your uh, media career, would you say that the vast majority of them burned up the phone lines or sent a bunch of emails? I mean, what's your thought? I, I would say... 100% of the people that I would consider to be the my top 20 all-time media sales all-stars were all phone-heavy per- people. They mm-hmm. were constantly on the phone. And they used different ways to motivate themselves. Uh, I had one guy that would, for every outbound phone call he'd make, he'd put a quarter in a jar. And mm. uh, he would use that, that, that money as beer money at the end of the month. Nice. Um, so he would go and you know, <laughs> just get a bunch of quarters. And then every time he'd make an outbound call, he'd, he'd throw one in a cup. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's those kind of things to help you uh, stay motivated. But yes, the top people that I've ever worked with were trailblazers on the phone. And they, they really exclusively used the phone to close business. You know, uh, Grasshopper Research had a pretty big study that they did. And the result was this: You're ten times more locally, a local. I'm sorry, you're ten times more likely uh, to close a sale via phone um, than email. So it's not that email is not important, friends. I mean, it's just email is a piece of the total puzzle. Those that are highly successful pick up the phone, and those that rely on mass emails and email only, it's not that you never close any business. I just feel like you're not going to close as much business. How, how much, you know, Mike? How much do you think that people's personalities? Uh, play a role in their ability to conduct phone sales. Oh yeah, I, and I think you can hear that personality coming through the phone, um, and it's a great way to to build relationships uh, with people. So yeah, I mean, I some of still some some of my good friends were former advertisers that that I would talk to on the phone, and even if I was in Dallas, Texas, I was talking to somebody in Chicago. You know, I would I would meet those people all because of, you know, the phone conversations that we were having. Right. So, yes, you can definitely build build those those relationships through the phone and people can hear your personality. And, 
you know, there's a lot of people that even have uh, mirrors on their desks so that they smile, you know, they can look at themselves and make sure that they're smiling as they talk. So you can mm-hmm. hear that coming out of your voice. Yeah, agreed. Now, before, um, because of the conversation, before all of you send me a bunch of email about, hey, um, you're a couple of old sales guys um, that are, you know, using old school techniques. I'm here to tell you that, you know, in my top 20 list of best media salespeople ever, there are easily four, if not five, millennials on that list, men and women that are kicking butt and taking names and ad sales. And guess what? They all burn the freaking phone lines up. I mean, they just they just do. Now, Mike, one of the things that um, as we wrap up talking about this that I'd love to share is that SAP did a study and of buyers. And buyers typically say no four times before they say yes. Typically, they'll say no four times before they say yes. Typically, sales reps give up statistically after four attempts, phone and voicemail after four attempts. So if advertisers say no four times and then we give up after four attempts, we're basically like one phone call or one communication away from potentially getting a yes. So I don't know. Uh, I I know. That's powerful, man. Yeah, it really is. So, all right, Mike, thanks so much for uh, taking some time and uh, chatting with us. And of course, thanks for supporting uh, the Sales Training World podcast as well as the Ad Sales Nation podcast. Uh, Mike and Kevin and Brad and the great team, cast and crew over at open-look.com, Open Look Business Solutions. They're your uh, sourcing out par- a third-party provider, if you will, um, for outsourcing needs, telemarketing, data cleanup, data collection, lead generation, appointment setting, you name it. Uh, they can do it for you. So reach out to them, open-look.com, open open-look.com. Thanks, Mike. Okay, let's get on to our listener questions. I know this is one of our most favorite parts uh, of the program. So we've got a question coming in from Rebecca, Albany, New York. And then we've got uh, Mark from Bakersfield, California, the West Coast, representing in the house. And then uh, we've got John uh, from D.C. Man, I've been in D.C. three times um, here uh, in the uh, last uh, month. I was there for the Specialized Information Publishers Conference. Uh, then I was there to work with the uh, fine folks at Hanley Wood. And then it was back again for the uh, Area Alliance of Business Publications. So I've been back and forth to D.C. Uh, a bunch. What a what a grace town. So we'll get to your question, John, here in just a second. All right, Rebecca from Albany, New York, upstate uh, New York. Rebecca's question is, Ryan, I am hearing over and over again in my local market that word of mouth is my best marketing vehicle. Help! With five exclamation points. All right, Rebecca. So for me... Here's how I handle word of mouth is my best marketing vehicle. Word of mouth is only as good as your ability to control 100% customer satisfaction. And what I mean by that is I work with advertisers regularly to help them with a gentle understanding of unless you are guaranteeing that you have 100% customer satisfaction, Your unhappy customers can go back to social media today and they can blast you. They can bury you on social media and it can be a really, really bad thing. So here's the story that I share. Those of you that know me well know that I like to tell a lot of stories. Most of them are appropriate. I like to tell a lot of stories. And so here's uh, what I might say. Mr. or Mrs. Advertiser, have you ever been to a restaurant where you didn't have the best experience, but it wasn't a bad experience? You just really didn't say anything and you figure, heck, I just won't ever come back again. Has that ever happened to you? Most people, if they're honest, will say, yes, it has happened to me. 
In today's environment, what people tend to do is when they have a bad experience, they don't say anything to anybody. Instead, what they do is they go home like a little troll and they get behind their keyboard or they pull out Yelp on their phone and they blast your business, give you one star, one and a half, and they rip your business. Whether you're a chiropractor, whether you're a medical equipment supplier, no matter the circumstance, doctor, dentist, lawyer, you name it, people are not afraid to go online and blast your business. So because of that, word of mouth used to be a tremendous marketing vehicle. And it's not that it still doesn't work, but it's not the sole and only source of marketing anymore. And unless you can control 100% customer satisfaction, you need to watch out for word of mouth marketing. Also, Rebecca, another thought on word of mouth marketing. Word of mouth marketing for me is slow. And the other piece is you are relying on untrained people to take your marketing message to the masses. And so because of that, if you have some type of a sophisticated sale, so for those of you that are in the B2B business, specifically magazines, trade magazine business, it's very, very important to understand if you have a complex sale and you're relying on word of mouth marketing as to get the word out to the marketplace, with a complex sale, that can be a little bit dangerous. So, Rebecca, there's a couple of thoughts for you. And, of course, Rebecca, an Ad Sales Nation t-shirt is coming your way. Uh, if you got a question, reach out to me, ryan at ryandorn.com. My last name is D-O-H-R-N, ryan at ryandorn.com. Good question, Rebecca. Thanks for sending it in. All right, from the West Coast, Bakersfield, California, Mark. Thanks for uh, sending in this question. Hey, Ryan, I am hearing from my advertisers a lot. I need to think about it. How do you handle when someone says, how do you handle it when someone says, I need to think about it? You know, what's interesting, uh, Mark, is I actually do hear that a lot. I, those of you that don't know, I sell media every day, just like all of you. So what I try to do, one of the first things is I try to identify the two most likely obstacles and I try to, to whittle that down to one. So if someone says, I need to think about it, very often I'll say something like, that's great. I'm really glad that you're considering this. As you think about this proposal or you think about this advertising buy, what are the main things that you're focusing on? What are you, what are you really thinking about? And then if they don't give me an answer, I try to isolate it. Is it price? Is it total reach? Is it our discounts? Is it our competition? What is it that you're thinking about? And I try to guide that I need to think about it conversation. So for me, I'm not afraid of I need to think about it because I, I hear it all of the time. Now, when someone says I need to think about it, the second thing I might do is really check to see if they are the decision maker. Now, probably you should have done that in advance uh, when you were qualifying the, the call, but if someone says, I need to think about it, you might say, I understand. As you and your team are considering this, is the final decision on your shoulders or is there somebody else that's involved in the process or is there other materials or things like that that I could potentially give to you that would help you in that decision-making process? Mark, last but not least, when someone says, I need to think about it, I'll try those tactics, but then I want to control the follow-up. It's really, really important. I want to make sure that I control the follow-up. So if someone says, I need to think about it, awesome. I'll work them through some of those strategies. Then I'll say, let's follow up. How about if we follow up, say Thursday at three o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon for a quick phone call. 
I want to get that on my calendar. If they say to me, no, I'm good, or I'll call you. See, for me, that's not going to work. It's, and I'm not going to say that, <laughs> but that's not going to work because I know that they might go dark on me. So instead, what I do is I really focus in and I'll say, awesome that you need to think about it. How about if we, we would get back together maybe Thursday at three? I'll put it on my calendar. You put it on yours. We'll connect real quick. If your answer is yes, awesome. If your answer is no, I'm going to be respectful of that. Just want to get a quick update from you. So, Mark, I mean, that's the most common ways that I handle. I need to think about it. Recognizing this. If you get too salesy and you try to use some of those closing techniques that a lot of people promote in their books or on Facebook, you know, be careful. 50% of salespeople come across as being pushy, according to an SAP study that I read not that long ago, 50%. So you really want to be careful about that, especially, especially if you're dealing with a younger buyer. Good question, Mark. All right, John from DC. John's question, Ryan my boss is all about face-to-face -face meetings. Here's the problem. I'm having trouble getting them. Any advice on getting more face-to-face -face meetings? Good question, John from DC. So there's a couple things I'd love to share with you. What does face-to-face -face really mean? Is a go-to-meeting or a WebEx meeting, is that face-to-face? -face? I say, yeah. I say it's as close as you're going to get to it if they won't grant you a meeting. So have you tried meetings using that type of technology? Face-to-face -face in person where you're pressing, pressing the flesh, shaking hands and uh, maybe giving a good side hug <laughs> or something like that. I'm sure that that's even better. And I, I think we all would agree that that's, that that's better. But very often I'm finding that people don't want to meet in person face-to-face. -face. And so what are my thoughts on getting those meetings? For me, I am always trying to present something that's very special something that's very, very important to them, something that's worth them giving me 30 to 60 minutes of their time. It might be an industry trends report. It might be a readership survey. It might be a Redex study that we did on their advertising. It might be a third-party audit or something like that. I need to give them something that's pretty darn interesting that they're going to potentially give me their time. Calling somebody to talk about their marketing plans for 2019 is probably not going to get them very excited. So I always like to try to bring them something. Now, I also uh, will often use the idea or the, or the strategy of, hey, Bob or hey, Julie, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to be in town. Uh, I'm going to be in D.C. on Thursday for a conference. Love to stop by. I've got an industry trend report that I'd love to share with you. Could I stop by and share that with you? I'm going to be in town. You know, I'll be honest with you and tell you, I can't say that that works every single time, but I have found that a lot of times if you're in town, people will give you a little bit of time. Now, one of the things that I see, uh, John, overall, that's a huge problem is, is very often meetings are try they, people try to have meetings over lunch or breakfast or something like that. Back in the day, that was really, really common. Now it's not as common to sit down and break bread with people. Now, I love to do that. I'd love to take you to out to dinner. I'd love to sit down and be able to have a good, good meal with you and a good conversation. So you might try inviting people to coffee. Uh, you might try just asking for 30 to 45 minutes in their office. Um, I don't know how old you are, John. So you might be like me, 46, 47 years old. And you remember the days when you could sit down for dinner with a client. It's not that you can't do that anymore. It's just a lot more unlikely. So a couple of takeaways there. Bring something to the meeting that's worthwhile, giving them something that they think, I think that they would potentially pay attention to. 
The other piece is recognizing that maybe they want, don't want to do face-to-face, but they might do a go-to-meeting, which in my opinion is almost as good. Not quite as good, but almost as good. And when you're talking with your boss, recognize that one of the things I love about go-to-meeting that I absolutely love is that I can share things. I can show things. I can control their screen, and it's very convenient. So you might have an old school sales boss uh, that really just doesn't want you to do those kind of things. Just recognize face-to-face typically wins business. I can show you an example. I have a company that I work with and uh, they were their numbers were down. And so the one thing that they did is they said, everybody get out on the road, go visit clients. And within 30 days, their numbers were up as much as 45%. So John, I feel like um, get out there and get as much face-to-face as you can and come to the table with something more than just your smiling face. Bring them something else. And perhaps some of those uh, tips of advice will potentially help. Good questions from John and Mark and Rebecca. I love answering listener questions. Send them over to me, Ryan at RyanDorn.com. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. You know, friends, we've got so much advice for you over at SalesTrainingWorld.com. So be sure to check that out. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, John, Clay, myself, uh, maybe even Mike, we'll get Mike Ober to come with us. Uh, We'd love to train your teams. No matter the industry segment that you're in, we create customized training programs. Here's the secret. You can say the same thing over and over again. I will say the exact same thing that you just said, and your people will think I'm a genius. (laughs) That's just the way that consulting works. And so I am willing to customize my training programs to specifically meet your needs. And that's the secret of our success over here at Sales Training World. All right, friends, uh, love uh, to have you here each and every month. Thanks so much. Send your questions over to Ryan at RyanDorn.com, D-O-H-R-N, Ryan at RyanDorn.com. And that's our podcast uh, for this month. So we've got great topics uh, coming up, selling to younger buyers, um, all kinds of things, and I need to think about it. And so much great stuff coming up here on iTunes um, as the podcast uh, rolls on. If you need some help, reach out to us, Ryan at RyanDorn.com or over at SalesTrainingWorld.com. And friends, don't forget, if sales was easy, everybody would be doing it. And they're not, so we're either crazy, (laughs) which is possible, or we found a career that will feed our families for a lifetime. All right, friends, God bless. We'll see you next month. We'll see you out on the street. 